Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and of course, and as always, you can check out everything that we have got going on over at Blister if you just go to the website, blisterreview.com. Today, Mike Rogie, the owner and editor of the Mountain Gazette, is back on the Blister podcast to talk with me about some of the things that we are seeing in the broader media landscape. And we also discuss some of the trends and the things we're seeing within the outdoor industry media landscape. And so in that portion of the conversation, we are talking about things like media literacy and the ethics of journalism and fake news. And Mike and I do talk a bit about some of the aftermath and fallout from the previous issue of the Mountain Gazette, issue 197. As many of you know, Cody Townsend and I talked about this. I believe it was in the July edition of Reviewing the News. So he and I kind of said what we have to say there. But I did want to talk to Mike a bit about his experience of kind of the fallout and aftermath of that article on influencers and accountability. Then from there, we talk about the next issue. That will be issue number 198, and it is a truly remarkable lineup of stories that are going to be included in that episode. Now, Mike and I do not talk about everything that will be coming out in issue 198, but we do talk about an incredible piece by Baratunde Thurston, We talk about the career retrospective on Seth Morrison that sounds incredible. And that's all I'm going to tell you for now. But we talk about a handful of stories that will be coming out in the new issue. And as you'll hear me say in the conversation, I'm quite blown away by what Mike and his team are actually doing over there at the Mountain Gazette. And with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Mike Rogie. Here we go. All right. Well, Mike, how are you today and where are you today? Yeah. What's up, buddy? I am in my office in North Lake Tahoe, California. Uh, I'm doing reasonably well. It is very smoky outside due to the mosquito fire, which is just burning west of here down the hill. Um, We are now two for two with fires that like to empty themselves right into the fishbowl that is the Tahoe Basin. And uh, it's not as bad as last year. We're hanging in there. We're a little more prepared with air purifiers, but everything's all right so far. That was kind of my big question, which is how the current situation does kind of compare to last year. And you're saying this is not yet reaching the levels that you were experiencing last year in Tahoe. Yeah, I spoke to my buddy Kyle the other day. He's a former firefighter and a patroller at Alpine Meadows. And, you know, no, the Caldor fire was a historic fire. It was massive. But as Kyle said, you know, anyone that's predicting what wildfire is going to do in this era of climate change is probably going to be wrong. So it's meant to be taken seriously. Um, There's never not a chance for it to reach Tahoe. But I do know that, like, you know, mitigation efforts in the Caldor fire helped save a large portion of South Lake and Myers. And um, this fire is 
headed towards two rocky canyons and pretty well armed <laughs> firefighting unit and also some burn scars. One thing that's crazy is we've got burn scars south, north, and west of us now, which is going to be pretty helpful in the future. I think the burning of these forests is long overdue. Which is a tricky part of this, right? Is like, on the one hand, we're seeing, you know, kind of the annual apocalyptic videos and photos. And yeah, there will be consequences, right? And yet, we have to have burns. Like, that's part of the natural system. And so this very tricky thing of how to mitigate that. And absolutely, we need to go back and, you know, look at historical containment policies and the like, all of this. Absolutely. We all better get on the same page. And we've had, you know, conversations about that and wildfire management on previous episodes of the blister podcast. Yeah. Like on the one hand, we need burns. It is a natural part of the ecosystem and yet it's tough. Yeah. I've had this, you know, thought recently that, you know, we have this phrase change is hard and we're going through some climate change right now and it's hard and we don't know exactly what it's going to change into and what sort of habitable earth we'll have when we're left, but change is inevitable. And I, like a lot of outdoor subjects that I'm not well versed on, I rely on mountain gazette contributors and Jake Meary, who is a photographer for 195. He shot our cover image. Like he's up in Alaska right now. I think it's funny that he looks at a 40,000 square, you know, mile or excuse me, 40,000 square acre fire. And is like, dude, that's like, he goes to Alaska for millions of acres of fire. Um, And, and I think like, for me, like where I can be a positive part of this effort is, you know, advocating the state of California for better pay, which we've done as a magazine, um, uh, using our platform to highlight some reforms for prisoners. You know, I learned recently that 80% of folks in prison, um, are there for misdemeanors. So there's, uh, some legislation that's being pushed around California where for every two weeks of fighting fire you do in the summer, you lose a week of your sentence. And these are nonviolent crimes. These are drug charges, maybe some shoplifting. And so, you know, we've also donated a bunch of gear to, you know, fallen firefighters, families, and trying to donate to causes. And um, at the end of the day, like we, no one can escape what's happening here. Um, And I feel pretty fortunate that I live in a community where like, we're pretty actively trying to, uh, live in these conditions, which is like, we're trying, there's some more indoor stuff that's available. We went bowling with my son over the weekend, which I never thought I would ever do in North Lake Tahoe. But, um, you know, a lot of fun Lebowski references and yeah, we're hanging in there. I don't know. I think it's something that you take day by day and that can be hard for people. Patience is hard for people. Change is hard for people. And that's sort of what we need for both of these. Well, hey, one of the things we have on topic here, this is always, I think, a good opportunity for me and you to kind of just do a bit of a state of the union or a bit of an assessment of like some of the things we're seeing, whether in the broader media landscape or some things more specific to the outdoor industry media landscape. And so I'd love to just put the question to you, like what 
are you seeing right now? What has kind of captured your attention since you and I spoke last time? Yeah. So uh, the best thing I'm seeing in outdoor media is that Jimmy Chin on Disney Plus and TGR on HBO. I think both of them have the word edge in their title and they're pretty similar shows, but I'm really stoked that two like media powerhouses from Jackson are battling it out in the mainstream media. Like I think there's plenty of room for both, if not more. And one of the things I'm finding is that, you know, during the pandemic and even before we saw a real rise in outdoor recreation, especially in cities. Um, and I think what you're seeing is more adoption from the mainstream media um, in, in mass media really is what it should be called um, of outdoor and, and the realization from editors and producers that they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know how to do this. So what they do is rather than try to make an outdoor show that sucks, they go to Todd and Steve Jones, they go to Jimmy and his production crew and Chai. And like, I just think that's fantastic. I mean, I feel like every week there's a new Alex Honnold special on Nat Geo on Disney plus, And I have a three-year-old son, so I'm on Disney plus quite a bit. And it's really cool to see that for every Pixar movie that comes out, there's maybe two or three Jimmy Chin or TGR pieces that are also dropping. And that's good for us because I think what will happen is you're going to get a lot more feedback, which means media is going to get a lot better. Um, I think that often in outdoor media, we never really think about how we explain the intricacies of our culture to a broader culture. Um, and this is just, it's just good for all outdoor media to get more eyeballs on it, to get more people in. Like, I like that I go to like Mets games and see people with orange and blue TGR hats on. They probably don't even know what it is. It's just a cool hat with a mountain. So uh, I'm super stoked for all those folks involved. I mean, Jimmy shot our last cover. Todd and Steve have been mentors to me in my career. And so it's really cool to watch them have that success on HBO and Disney plus. I mean, HBO and Disney, like I never would have thought, man, let's take a minute and see if we can actually off the cuff, like kind of try to identify some of the most meaningful moments in terms of the, let's say the mainstreaming of some mountain sports, right? So Certainly, I think we need to go back to that incredible moment in time where Jimmy Chin's documentary of Honold's climb of El Capitan, Free Solo, that is happening right about the same time that Tommy Caldwell's Dawnwall film is coming out. And Barack Obama, president at the time, is congratulating Tommy and Kevin on the effort. I mean, that's a monster moment in the outdoor industry, right? What Alex achieves and how incredibly it's captured by Jimmy and his team, but also what's happening with like, again, the president of the free world congratulating a couple of climbers. You tempted to go, I mean, yes, we have of course like winter Olympic coverage when skiing, like Alpine ski racing gets its moment, but are you tempted to like, push back, say in the last 20 to 30 years, what comes on your radar for like big moments, seminal moments like that? Well, I, so I think about this a lot, right. But there's like deer rider, the Jake Burton doc was like 
you know, I just had lunch with Pat Bridges, the editor of Slush, the other day, and he was like, that's the most watched snowboard movie of all time. You know what I mean? And when you think about that, you're like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, not as successful, but Julia Louis Dreyfus and Will Ferrell did the remake of Force Majeure. And but again, it's like the fact that someone in Hollywood was even willing to consider a film that takes place at a ski resort in Europe is kind of nuts to me. Um, I'll give credit where it's due for sure. Uh, I've had a, a like he subscribes to the Gazette. He's a very very good dude. Um, I admire his work, but John Branch from the New York Times has always had an uncanny ability to cover someone like David Wise, like half pipe skier from Reno and perfectly capture David's place within the ski industry and present that to a broader audience. And I think John's done a really good job of covering alternative sports, like whether they be action sports, rodeo, outdoor John's just really been great at that. And that's a testament to like New York times and the subscription model and them having the ability to invest in those stories. I mean, I got to know John during his, you know, writing of snowfall, the Stevens pass avalanche. I was an editor at Patter at that time and was indirectly involved um, in that, just in that, that was a Patter magazine assignment. And my boss was, was there along with some colleagues, but um, it's funny, right? Cause like, I watched the Kelly Slater documentary recently and Kelly's seminal moment in his career was getting a walk on in Baywatch and like Tony Hawk's seminal moment was like a cameo on like some TV show. I think movies like, uh, minding the gap Dogtown, Z boys like doc documentaries have seemed to be the like Avenue to reach the broader audience because there's a lot of personal growth in our sport all of these sports and all of these like activities and the culture, like people don't go to the mountains just to see what it's like. Like you come here and it, it can change your life. And I think those make for great stories is watching someone's life evolve from where they start and where they, where they end. I think if we're trying to identify a certain number of just seminal moments, I think you'd have to talk about John crack hours into thin air. Oh Yeah. So I, I do not mean, I'm, I'm sure we have not, we could go on and, and we have absolutely left out, I'm sure some key pieces, but wild by Cheryl Strayed. But again, like personal growth, right? A lot of people do through hikes. A lot of people try to write books about through hikes. Cheryl Strayed actually, like I admire her work. Like she, she did it cause she had to go through some shit, but you know, personally and emotionally, psychologically beyond the hike. And I think, um, you know, you can go back and find a lot of literary references, but um, I do think, you know, I mean, gosh, we could go all the way back to like, you know, Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could, but like, but I think as far as like media moments, um, you know, Sean White, capturing like the Olympics were never about snowboarding, but Sean white capturing the imagination and being on the cover of Rolling Stone. And like you said, the Olympics like help that. But I also think that there's an appetite for outdoor media now more than there's ever been. And like the other thing that's nice from a streaming platform is that you want a Judd Apatow movie. You're not getting that thing for less than $20 million. And you and I both know no one's paying $20 million for the next climbing movie. And that's great for them because 
you can make them annually. They're relatively affordable in Hollywood and New York media markets. Um, they have a built-in audience. And I think that some people hate watch them to see if they get the sport wrong. But like, guys, like if you are hate watching these things, like Todd and Steve Jones are not going to get an outdoor movie wrong, just as Jimmy, Jimmy and Chai aren't going to get a climbing outdoor movie wrong. Like they're, they're true. In my opinion, they're choosing like the cream of the crop, like the, some of the best creators in our space. And I'm just super proud to be part of, I don't say as often, but I'm like really proud to be a part of an industry that is like the best work is being elevated. And I think that's really like a meritocracy can be really cool. What else, what else are you seeing kind of in the broader media landscape that's caught your attention? I am a little concerned about this story. It's not getting a lot of publicity, but a journalist in Las Vegas, who was writing for a local newspaper was killed, murdered allegedly by a public official that he was reporting on. Um, and I think still the world's a pretty unsafe place to be a reporter, regardless of how you identify yourself. Like if you identify yourself as a journalist, it, it can be a pretty unsafe place. And you're starting to see some people retaliate against journalists. I mean, this is a local journalist who was covering some pretty serious crimes, but this by comparison, was not a big gambling story. It was not a mob story from Vegas. It was about a public official that had started um, being accused of bullying. And I think what what scares me about it is that, you know, at Mountain Gazette, we fell into some of this fake news accusations. Um, we had taken, you know, less than a dozen claims of facts and Ari Schneider's outdoor influencer piece from 197, which I know you and Cody chatted about on reviewing the news. But, uh, you know, we didn't get any of those facts wrong. And also the door's not closed. Anyone out there, if there's anything in there that is wrong, hit us up because as a news organization, we know we're not going to always get it right. We know that stories evolve and we're willing to, to print corrections of things that are incorrect. But what I was really disappointed by is some of the folks named in there publicly came out and said that it was fake news when they had actually privately told me they hadn't even read the story yet. What it is, is that we live in a society where if you read a story that is factually incorrect, you can be mad about that. But if you read a story that is yes. factually correct and it makes you yep. angry because it's true information, you can't call it fake news because you don't like it. I mean, sure, I guess you can, but I no longer wish to engage in any sort of discourse with you whatsoever. I will say, man, the most interesting part about that is my phone was off when that story, like we didn't, even, we still haven't posted online because we don't, we don't post articles to the internet. But my wife had just given birth to our son so my phone was off for all the right reasons that it should be. And when I turned it back on, I had hundreds of messages, both text and emails and everything. And I'll say the most important one was from Derek Taylor, the former editor of Powder, who said, are your facts correct? And I said, yes, it's been fact-checked. He said, then enjoy the ride. And I did. And I watched the discourse play out online. I 
personally wanted to respond to a lot of stuff that was incorrect, but I found that like we had set the record straight in the story and people subscribed to the magazine. They read the story and they were really shocked at like how overblown some of the accusations that were made to us were. And I'll say that like some of the folks we were speaking about before about being leaders in the outdoor world, media landscape, subscribed to Mountain Gazette and sent me personal texts saying, dude, that story was incredible. It's about time. So I, I got a lot of professional validation out of that experience and we all learned quite a bit. And also like, dude, we're not holding outdoor influencers accountable. That was not the purpose of that story. The purpose of that story was to ask the question, is anyone doing this? To me, this just gets back to, honestly, it's one of the most fundamental issues of literally any society. And that is just the question of who can you trust? What institutions can you trust? What journalistic mediums can you trust? And I think we have been quite let down when we go to CNNs versus Fox News channels or whatever, and you will, you can, whatever the story of the day is, you can just go get two completely different accounts of that story, you know, by these different entities. And, and I do think there has been a massive erosion of confidence and faith and trust at the highest levels or biggest levels, broadest levels of mainstream media. And I, I've said this before, but one of the things in starting Blister 12 years ago, you know, a line that I will kind of often say, like, look, I'm very clear, we are not out there curing cancer, but there is still some very deep satisfaction that I find and I know our team finds in just being able to operate in our particular corner of the galaxy and just try to do things the right way to the best of our ability to do that. And there's been a lot of thoughtfulness about how that happens and how you create an infrastructure around that. And yeah, we're not, we don't have the subscription of a New York Times or Wall Street Journal or whatever, but man, to, to just operate your little world and try to do it the right way with integrity and to create something that when someone comes and is reading something on Blister, they're not like, do they actually believe the opposite of this, but they just refuse to tell us that. That's all I want out of my different news sources and media outlets. Like, are you telling the truth? And can I trust that you have done the work of like fact checking and facts? And if you make a mistake, can I operate on the assumption that you will in fact issue a correction? Yeah, absolutely. We were ready to, we were inviting it. That's the other thing, man, is that we were inviting it. Like I was sitting there holding like a 72 hour old baby my son and he's asleep and I'm sending out Instagram stories being like, we stand behind our reporter. And if anything is factually incorrect, send it to us immediately and we will issue a correction. But it does kind of lead me to two things when it comes to like how I choose my own media sources is one, like what is this media companies? Like, what are they incentivized by? You know, like, 
I've always said like affiliate gear reviews are tough because it's a lot better to sell a bike than it is to sell like a, you know, chamois, you know, like higher percentage, like you're getting more back. Like, so you're going to push more bike content, right. Then you are like, say like trail running shoes or something like I just, the, what do you incentivize by? Um, I am incentivized by growing our subscriber base. And the way I do that, if I start popping out bullshit left and right, and it's not true, we're going to lose people. But instead with that story, we had like a serious net gain of people who were like, wow, these guys are not, you know, I could have fanned those flames so hard. I mean, I'm not an idiot, man. Like I have, I've won social media awards for way bigger media companies than, than I currently own. I could have fanned the flames of that and use that as a marketing opportunity, whatever, but I didn't because that's not who we are. That's not what we want to do. And to, and to prove that, like I do want to share something that we haven't shared publicly, but we've shared with our subscribers. So with 197, we moved warehouses and we had a serious shipping issue where almost a thousand subscribers didn't get their copy of the magazine. We found the error when I was on paternity leave. My team and I worked through it. Mostly my team worked through it. And we were like, we talked about the communication, like how do we, and what we did rather than just email the people who were affected, we emailed our entire email list. So people that don't even subscribe to the magazine. And I wrote a personal letter that was about a thousand words long, which is like, everyone knows that's an email marketing. No, no, keep it short, sweet. What's the call to action? The call to action was, Hey, we messed up. Here's how we messed up. Here's what happened. Here's who was affected. Here's how we made it right. You know, we will, we were willing to offer anyone a refund that felt that they didn't get what they had ordered. And we ended up only refunding like maybe two people, like, because people are like, all right, I see this, like you're a real person. And then I personally responded to everyone that hit reply on that. So they know that like, we're not this like conglomerate of people that are just trying to collect your data and sell it to an ad partner, you know? like, or sling it, sling all this into an IPO. Like I love making mountain gazette. I tweet about it all the time. And on LinkedIn, it's the worst business update you can ever read from me on LinkedIn. I love making this so much so that I'm willing to help other people try to, you know, grow subscription magazine businesses. I had a call this morning with Ryan from trails mag who's on Kickstarter. I have no financial stake in this whatsoever. Other than I subscribed to his magazine. He's bummed that backpacker is kind of going away. And so he's creating an alternative. He's got the right motivation, you know? So I want to support that. And I think that that's what people need from their media it is humility, hat in hand. We are in an effort to show in mountain Gazette, what happens when you walk out your front door, whether you live in Jackson hole or Jackson Heights. And we're not always going to get it right. And when we don't, we're going to be the first to admit it. And we're not just going to move on. We're actually going to dissect it, learn from it, try not to make the same mistake again. And I think that's what people want to see. They don't want perfect media companies. They want media companies willing to grow in the right way, which is with morality, you know? So, yeah, a, a company that is transparent and principled. Yeah. Dude, I just had it. So one of the big things we're doing is like, I have friends at, climate neutral, right? And we're like, how do we offset our carbon? Our printer hemlock is on hundred percent renewable energy. We think that's great. And I'm like, I don't just want to, you know, 
plant trees or you know what I mean? Like I want to find something more we can do. And so like Cassie Abel, my friend from Wild Rye and I have been chatting about, she has this option where you can carbon offset every package to ship to you. Our problem is we ship to you twice a year. You don't pay two different ship and pay one. So we're like, we're going to go work with that company and see if we can find a way to do that. And like, no one's even asking us to do that, but we're just like, Hey, we suck at this. Like we should be better at this. You know, we're working with our warehouse. Like, is there a way where we can send all of our magazines out on the same day? You know, like we had a lot of Canadian subscribers that were getting hammered at the border with dues. So now we have a facility in Vancouver that ships domestically. Like, I just think like we are not perfect. Like I know that, but I think that's actually a strength of ours because now we know that we can make Mountain Gazette a little better every single day we work on it. And I think as a consumer of media, that those are the media outlets that I really love and adore and will support for the rest of my, you know, adult life until I join TikTok. Exactly. <laughs> There's a media story. Yeah. TikTok. Yeah. Largest social platform, the largest any platform apparently on earth now also might be a source of espionage. That's a fun one. Owned and influenced heavily by the Chinese government and has the ability to put their thumb on the scale to promote anti-American values and anti-American sentiment and has the ability to, I mean, I just read this stat that kids watch more of TikTok than any, any other streaming platform all combined. Than everything combined. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like there's a lot of different mediums and I think there's, as a consumer, you've never had more choice which is really cool. But I do think like as a consumer, it's your responsibility to use your choice wisely. And I think that kind of goes full circle into what Ari was writing about objectively in that outdoor influencer story for 197 of just like, Hey, like not all of this is what it seems, you know, um, there's no shadow puppet behind blister or mountain gazette or adventure journal or, Backcountry magazine or whatever. I mean, everyone that I know that's in the, and I mean, even like Whalebone magazine out of New York or like Fretboard Journal, Cream magazine, like all of them at the core are motivated by making excellent content across a variety of mediums, you know? And I think that's what you should be after versus like clickbait um, and just, yeah, other shit. And it's not the other thing. And if you notice, man, I, I want to point this out. I was like, you and I have not used words left or right leaning or whatever. Like, I'll be honest, they're not politically motivated. They're financially motivated. That's it. They know who they know how to fan the flames. And everybody, every media outlet along the political spectrum is resorting to these tactics. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's easy. It's super easy. I could have put yeah. my thumb on. Oh, like yeah. I said, oh, yeah. I could have put my thumb on the scale with that thing. Like, we could have run. We have a sophisticated paid advertising agency that we work with. That where I'm like, look, I want to find people that went to CU Boulder in the '60s that probably read Mountain Gazette and find them on social media and let them know that Mountain Gazette's back. Like, those were my objectives in doing a paid media campaign. I could have easily been like, yo, here's twenty grand let's say we're the anti like influencer magazine, whatever, like that's not what we are. So I didn't want to do it. 
So we didn't. I think like you, you'll get judged in the end by the choices you don't make than the ones that you do. So I want to talk a bit about your upcoming issue. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm a subscriber now. And, and I actually want to say this because I was not initially. And initially, I was like, yeah, I don't need to read this. I live in the mountains. I'm in the outdoor industry. That's all I get. And I'm like, I, this isn't for me. I am really blown away. I definitely, definitely did not think you and your team were going to be putting out, well, articles that I'm like, yeah, I definitely need to read this. I work a lot. I work in this industry. I'm talking about all these things a lot of the time. And like, and I didn't know. And you told me just before we hit the record button about some of the stories that are coming into this next issue. And I'm like, this is amazing. So I went, I just want to say, like, I went from somebody literally who was like, yeah, that's great. Whatever. I don't need this. This is one of those things I can afford. That's how I think about a lot of stuff. Like, what can I afford to ignore? Because a lot of my time is already accounted for. And Mountain Gazette was originally in the, I'm, I feel confident that I can afford to ignore this. I do not feel this way anymore. My God, that is just, a, I mean, for what it's worth, that is how I feel about what you're doing. And I would not be saying this if I didn't mean that. And now you can go ahead and talk about a few of the stories and people can judge for themselves. But let's then talk about this upcoming issue. Thank you. That's really nice. And I appreciate you saying the team because we do have like, I've made it very clear since the beginning, like this is not Mike Rogie's personal outdoor journal. Like Kim Stravers, our copy editor, copy edits for arguably, I think the best journals and high-end publications in the entire world. John Coleman, our art director is like just so talented and incredible. Hans Ludwig, the Jade local, Austin Holt, our marketing director. I mean, yeah, I could go on about all everyone and our contributor list is really growing quite a bit. And so I'll say that like, I can't pick a favorite story to our upcoming issue, Mountain Gazette 198, but it was very, um, I get very uh, stoked when I see people who make media that I love subscribing to Mountain Gazette and Baratunde Thurston, who has a show on PBS called America Outdoors, which he's the best. I felt like I couldn't believe when you told yeah. me this that he that. Uh, so anyway, sorry to interrupt, but like, no, it's fine. I mean, Bar Baratunde uh, was a contributor to the Daily Show. He's an incredible writer, and he subscribed to the magazine. And my wife and I were like talking about America Outdoors coming out. There was no like, oh, he subscribed through a press A. Like he just, I looked at my phone and there was a new subscription at seven o'clock at night, headed to LA to Baratunde's house. So then I reached out and thanked him for subscribing to the magazine, said how much I liked America Outdoors and how you know great it was. And he and I struck up a conversation. He's a pretty big guy, like celebrity wise and like has a good following. And I started talking with his team. We started chatting about what he might want to write. And then he came to us with the idea of his personal feelings from the great dismal swamp episode, which I will paraphrase poorly. You should read the story. It's much better than how I can do it. But 
So 50,000 enslaved folks who had escaped um, slavery had found this island in a swamp. George Washington had famously used the words drain the swamp. Crazy. Uh, and basically that it was uninhabitable. And these people learned how to live off the land from Native Americans who had also been kicked off their land by early pioneers. And in the episode, Baratunde goes to the island, it's a seminal moment in the entire series. He goes to the island and is given a moment by himself. And what he writes about in the Mountain Gazette is what he felt when he was there by himself, which he didn't put in the show. And it, it was just a really powerful moment for me because, again, I, I feel like what we want to do is, is really show what it's like when you walk out your front door and that, like, you could just be going for a run to get some exercise, clear your head. Or you could be in waders in the middle of a swamp feeling like a huge weight of your history and your identity being, like, stomped into you. And I was really stoked that not only did he want to write for us, but that he was willing to be so vulnerable with us. Kim, our copy editor, actually said that that should be the theme of this issue is vulnerability. A lot of our contributors are very vulnerable. Um, you know, we've got a story that I know like the ski audience is going to really appreciate, but I felt like Seth Morrison's career needed a, a exclamation point. It's had just an open end forever. Um, he did, you know, through Ari Schneider's reporting, we learned that he did actually learn he was dropped from K2 by looking at their website. You know, no one ever reached out to him, but we feel like this is the definitive Seth Morrison profile. Um, he did give us a comment. Um, I will tell you, like a lot of things Seth does right now, it was in his own way and it was very brief. But um, we spoke, you know, Ari spoke to a bunch of people and, I will say that I think it, when folks read this, they're going to say like the man's done enough, you know, leave, leave the guy alone. Um, we have a massive library of amazing Seth Morrison photos. Uh, a special moment for me was FaceTiming with former powder uh, photo editor, director of photography, Dave Reddick, who helped us reaffirm our choice for the cover of the magazine. Um, and then talking to Flip McCurick, former Freeze Magazine photo editor, and have him like submit some work. And, you know, he said something great. Oh, Sethy boy really deserved this, you know? And that was, that was awesome. And, um, I just think like for me as a fan of Seth Morrison growing up, like this feels like the, the profile. It's like all we'll ever need. And that was pretty cool. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to read it. It did. I mean, we gave it. 16 pages and uh to the joy of many we are running sequences morphs in the magazine so you will get to see a big old seth morrison lincoln loop and a big old seth morrison front flip from takeoff to landing and i will say landing not hot tub like stomped oh yeah no landing and hot tub. A, no, no really cool really cool to see that so you know i talked about too like media companies can be a bit competitive I'm certainly competitive and I know there's people out there that have wanted the Seth Morrison interview or the pro like, what is, what is it? And I was like, dude, we can do this. And so Ari and I looked around for different ways. People have written profiles. 
of pretty non-active participants of the subject, you know, from the subject. And um, we found this, I think Ari found it. We found this profile of ASAP Ferg in the New Yorker where he did the rapper and he didn't participate. And we were like, oh, this is good. Like we can do this. Like we know all the players. Like we talked to like photographers, directors. We talked to his wife. We talked to friends. We talked to folks that have skied with him last winter, you know, like, um, and made sure that we were, you know, painting a really accurate picture and not trying to like, you know, we're not trying to throw any brand or person or whatever under the bus. We just want to know what happened to the guy. Cause he went from being a huge part of our world. I mean, winning powder awards every year, being in the MSP movie every year and like seemingly getting better at skiing as he got older. Um, and I mean, in a lot of ways you could consider him a Michael Jordan of our sport and that Jordan was a very reserved person with the media. Seth was always willing, you know, Jordan's always down to talk about Haynes and Nike and McDonald's and anyone that was paying him. And as was Seth, when it came to like full tilt or K2 or Oakley or whomever he was sponsored by, but we, the fact is like Seth Morrison doesn't owe anyone anything, including Mount Gazette. He didn't owe us an interview or even to respond to us. So the fact that he did briefly, we appreciated. And I'm, I'm just, it feels like a complete picture, which is sometimes like with these stories, you're like, man, there's so much more. Like, I feel like Ari nailed it from beginning, middle and end. And like, when I finished reading, I was like, time to leave the man alone which felt really satisfying. I don't know if I've said this ever before on a podcast, but someone in the ski industry gave me Seth's personal phone number. It's probably been about two, two and a half years now. And they, this person was like, I want to hear you talk to Seth, like get him on the podcast. You know, he's, lives down the road from us uh, here in Crested Butte. And I just was like, I, I haven't. I've never used it. I've never reached out. For all the reasons you're kind of saying, and I think certain people listening to this will get it, the whole like, the guy is an icon. He is a godfather of the sport. You're, you keep using the phrase like, we can just like, let's leave the man alone. And that's kind of how I felt about it. And so while I'm dying to read like, your story. I, I've just kind of been in that same space of like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, and it's probably the stupidest thing in the world. And, and I, I don't know. I may, I may reach out at some point. There is a bit of a reverence here. There is a monster sized appreciation for this individual. This guy was different from everybody. And I feel like if he showed up right now and just was doing the same stuff that he was doing 20 and 30 years ago, it would be fresh as hell. It's, cr it's, <laughs> I think also for anyone that follows, you know, the trajectory of professional skiers from that era, we, we got a lot of dead icons, you know? And I think there's something like refreshing that like, in a way, he used something that happened to him, the like K2 website thing to, from my understanding of Ari's story, 
to be like, okay, I'm done. And not like, okay, I'll try to grab a couple sponsors on my way out and pop into like some low budge movies and like get an Instagram following and do some like CBD shelling or whatever. Like, I think it's just, I think there's the idea that we like in American society icons who don't get torn down and get to like leave on their own terms. We love that stuff, dude. We love the like Derek Jeter farewell tour. We're watching it in baseball right now with Albert Pujol slowly approaching seven home home runs. They're like, you could go for the record. He wants to leave at the end of the year. It's not about the record. It's about his choice and making it like I, I find again, the theme of our magazine, this issue being like vulnerability. Like I find that that is opening, like it's not easily understandable because you're like, dude, you're pro skiers, best job in the world, right? Best job in the world. But as like you and Cody, I always talk about reviewing the news. Like there's, it's a job and people should have the freedom to leave their jobs, whether they're public figures or not. And I found that, Forever Seth Morrison was a god, and this makes him a little more mortal. Still a god, for sure. No one's denying that he had like just a insane talent. But I was interested in the that idea, and that's why we pursued it, and why I gave it to Ari, because Ari, I felt like, would do the due diligence as he does. This is actually one of two stories he has in the mag. His other one is um, a story about Lost, Potential. So someone on the other side of that spectrum where Seth got to leave and it's about Mariah Wilson, who was a professional biker who was tragically murdered in Texas this summer. And in the vein of our media talk that started the podcast, you know, like that was pretty heartbreaking for our friends in the bike industry to watch. I have good friends that work at Specialized who watched this tragic story turn into a TMZ New York post, like made for Hollywood manhunt of a yoga teacher. And like, and we actually, again, took a step back and thought this, this woman had a family. This woman had dear friends. And tragically, as we learned that she had so much potential and we were really honored that her family, you know, chose mountain gazette to speak with they did not speak to every media outlet but again that credibility that is so in integrity it's really important to us is that we wanted to allow her family to to speak to how they were feeling you know and and that story um is tragic and also there's like this underlying tone of just like how important the friendships are that, that we make in these sports like I still talk to some of my baseball buddies from high school for sure, but in no way are they even close to, you know, the deep, meaningful relation. I mean, my lifelong ski partner is the godfather of my son. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's something that Ari really brought out. It was not part of his assignment, but he found that angle and it, it just came out of like how deep friendships can run in this and how sad they are when, it can be when they're taken away. And those are three stories. I mean, we've got, this is the biggest mountain gazette we've ever made. It's 160 pages. Um, you know, Megan Michelson, uh, <laughs> her husband, Dan of Flylo, who officiated my wedding. Megan was my editor at ESPN. I have just 
desperately want her to come in and write the pieces that I know she's capable of writing uh, for us. And she pitched me classic Megan, like one pitch and she nailed it. She pitched me a story about her family history with Alpine Lake skinny dipping. And I will tell you that having, there's a lot of weird dynamics at play. Like Emily Tidwell shot the photos for it. Uh, we wanted to be very careful and very tasteful in what images we were running. And, you know, we just, we took a lot of time on this one, but it just makes you feel good. It's just like the ultimate feel good story. Uh, there's a brief history of skinny dipping and the legality behind skinny dipping. That's like sort of been set. Actually, it's crazy. Like Patrick Leahy, the Senator from Vermont is sort of credited in the seventies with coming up with essentially the, policy of skinny dipping so vermont's just continues its its reputation of being weird and irreverent but you know that story's great and we michelle parker is making her mountain gazette debut um she's been i think she's the only person who's been featured as an athlete she's a subscriber and now she's a contributor so we're really psyched on that um well, I guess a Jimmy technically counts too, but we've never run a photo of Jimmy Chen, but we'll have to, we'll have to change that so that he can join Michelle in that super group. Uh, we'll make, we'll make it like the five timers club on SNL. We'll send him a gold jacket <laughs> or something. Well, all I know is I'm really hoping that my issue when I get it will include some tasteful nudes of Dan Abrams. Nope. <laughs> that would just really, I'm going to need to, I'll hit you up to order some extra yeah. copies. No, kind of like wallpaper what am i the rooms of my house with some tasteful nudes megan's a pro megan's a pro she wouldn't bring dan on that trip never but <laughs> but um i was really psyched that again megan was so vulnerable to um talk about this subject and body positivity and some stuff that you know we did not set out for that i think that's the key with this is i don't put a any sort of agenda. And I, I mean, I don't try to put my thumb on the scale. Like, Hey, let's push this narrative. Like I like it when our writers come back with something they discovered because when people, when creatives discover things, they like run full force towards it. And as a reader, you get to experience that as well. Like vicariously through the writer, like, you know, you'll read Megan's piece and you'll just, it'll click. You'll be like, Oh, I, I understand this culture. Now, uh, Sadie Stein, who's a contributor to the Paris Review, New York Times, New York Magazine, uh, wrote about, oh, again, unexpected. She had a very, like, I gave her the assignment a year ago. I said, Sadie, I want you to write about what winter in Manhattan's like. She grew up there and just write about it. And she wrote about actually what it's been like as a lifelong city person experiencing climate change in a city with snow. And it's it, it was a perspective I I'd never considered. And I do think that's really important when it comes to covering topics like climate change is, man, everyone's talking about it as they rightfully should. But when you hear the same narrative over and over and over again, you become a little numb to it. I found this to be incredibly refreshing. I have not seen anyone write about climate change and snow from the perspective of folks who live in city because you think that people in cities take it for granted and they just don't want it. It's a nuisance, but that's not the case. Sadie's great. I'm so thankful she wrote for 194 and she's back in 198. And it pleases me that we have contributors that want to come back, you know, 
I think it's easy to get some of these folks the first time and they may have a bad experience, you know, with other publications, they don't come back. Like our contributors keep my inbox pretty full. We got 1700 story submissions this year alone. And yeah. And we're, we're considering them all. We are, we consider them all. We can't run them all. We run less than 40 stories per year. So, and I won't say they're the best. That's not it. It's what fits where we're headed with that issue. Every issue is different. So someone that sent me a pitch in October of last year might be perfect for 199 in the spring or 200. So um, it does not make it easier, but it feels like we keep making better magazines. And that's the point. And that's what we want to give to our consumers. We want every issue to be a little better. If somebody's listening to this, they're not already a subscriber, where should they go? How does it work? Do people need to hurry up and subscribe now if they want to get a copy of 198? Talk about some of the logistics there. Sure. So um, we sold out of four issues in a row. I have increased my print runs significantly every single time. Something weird like that social media story happened. And we get a lot more attention. We cut, we're on the blister pod. Something happens and we sell a lot more. We're growing by about 200 subscribers a month right now. And when something like an appearance on this podcast or like a newsletter come out, we sell a few hundred more. And that depletes the pile. I refuse to be sitting on 25,000 copies of a magazine and then having just to either recycle them send them to the incinerator like that's not a good climate move as a business and it's just it makes no sense so you can subscribe at mountaingazette.com um you get two issues a year we ship in the fall and we ship in the spring um we have a sunday email newsletter that we include links uh, we just did a q a with your pal cody townsend in our most recent one um it's only available in that newsletter which you can sign up for so if you want to try mountain gazette and you don't want to drop 70 bucks drop into our newsletter we're not going to spam you we have a 64 percent open rate which for marketing nerds are like that's unheard of and the reason why is we don't bother you we used to bother you but again we learned from that and we don't do it anymore we try to give our readers what they want and what they will enjoy um and yeah, we will probably start shipping this next issue next month. Next month. So we're talking, it's Monday, September 12th. And so early-ish October, mid-October? Yeah, I think October in general. Uh, I, and, and the reason <laughs> <Okay>. why... I, <laughs> yeah, as somebody who's just wrapped up a massive 240-page buyer's guide, I love hearing someone else have to think through yeah what does it ship bro i want to be as accurate as possible without giving an hour yeah. a date because like for That's example right. last time our printer sent it to our old warehouse which delayed us by 10 days you know there are still some supply chain issues that we're not responsible for but like paper mills aren't exactly like the most reliable places and the other thing is that we sustainably harvest the trees that we print our paper on and that's not as easy as going out back with a chainsaw, you know, like there's some careful environmental factors that are considered. And so it's why we only do two a year. It's why we're increasing page count and not frequency. Um, 
We don't want to be shipping 12 times a year. Um, there's plenty of content, obviously, but we don't want to. And the idea behind Mountain Gazette is that you get it and we're not the New Yorker. You don't have to read it in seven days before the next one comes. You have like six months. Um, you can be like Marianne Rogi, my mother, who reads it from when she gets it all the way through, which I don't even do to proof it. And then sends me her follow-up questions via text. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I'm really proud of like, when I first started this, there were very few people that were working on it. And now we've got about 12 to 15 people that are integral to the operation of Mountain Gazette. Um, I'm super actually, man, this is like my proudest achievement is starting in January. We're going to start subsidizing our 1099 contractor folks, healthcare. I'm really proud of that. Like that's with our success. Uh, I want to make sure that our, people, our art director, our copy editor, our marketing director, our social media coordinator, like whether that they feel that their work is not going unnoticed, they're sharing it. We have no investors, you know, like, and what I like is we're a tight crew and we're able to give each other like honest feedback. I'm not infallible, you know, and our coworkers know, like coworkers here know that. And they feel comfortable coming to us. And we're just trying to create a really positive environment because I think positive environments create positive media. And, and that's what we're trying to do. Hey, man, great talking. And just so people know, I mean, we are planning basically to do this at least twice a year, like in advance of a new issue coming out. And I love that because that, you know, you and I will end up talking a bit about something or other, you know, at a given random time. But I, I personally really like these opportunities. You know, the monthly episodes that I'm doing with Cody on reviewing the news, that's where we're diving into specific stories. But what I like about, you know, these like twice a year episodes with you is kind of to like, it gives me an opportunity to sort of take a step back. Let's hear what you and I are kind of seeing in that broader media landscape. And for all kinds of reasons, you know, we're in such a quick moving, swirling, ever changing environment. It feels right to take stock about some broader trends and things. And uh, so appreciate doing that with you now. And I'm kind of already looking forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. I will say, I appreciate you and Cody defending Mountain Gazette on reviewing the news, the greatest um, accusation that was made during that was that I paid you and Cody to do that podcast where, where, Oh yeah, no, <laughs> you had no idea. You didn't know. We one, I'll say I had no idea, but two, <clears throat> the idea that you think that Mountain Gazette can afford to pay Jonathan and Cody both <laughs> to sully the reputation they have spent decades building of credibility to defend someone that Cody knows from fantasy football and baseball. <laughs> and you and I just met this winter, last winter. Um, I did, I found that to be like, I put it in my notes. I was like, we have to talk about this. Like, I love that ac accusation that I paid you guys to, uh, to do that. So uh, please enjoy the Corvette that you're going to buy with all the money. <laughs> I know Cody, you know, is enjoying it. <laughs> well, first of all, you had not told me this till right now. <laughs> yeah that someone had been like, you must've paid those guys. Secondly, do you remember what I told I you, which was if we thought you guys did get it wrong, we would have 
needed to say that. I wanted you to. That's how this operates. Or we would have had you come on and be like, we think you got it wrong. Let's talk through this. And Cody, Cody had just put that in the doc. I think we talked about it in that episode. Cody's like, yo, this is blowing up. And I wasn't that psyched because I'm like, I didn't want to devote my weekend to figuring out what was going on here. And then he and I said what we had to say is because that's what we do. And um, anyway, funny though. It was, it was a funny, but uh, guys, there's no, uh, there's no smoke or fire over here. You know, I think all like, especially the three folks who just mentioned myself, Cody and Jonathan are just trying to do the best we can with what we have. I mean, Cody, I think the 50 project is like the most proven. I mean, look at what the three of us do to end this quickly. Cody, Cody hikes like the worst condition terrain mountains for a YouTube page. Like if he was not motivated by anything other than just the accomplishment of that and seeing where it goes, like he wouldn't do it. You write 10,000 word heel piece stories and I and I make a magazine that weighs about two pounds and is two feet wide and with it and yeah. choose to do so in a way that's not even easy. I can't go to Kinko's. It's all sheep fed. So I choose like the hardest way to print the only, and our, there's two printers in the country that can even make our magazine. You know, it's like none of us are doing this for posturing sake. And I will say, yeah, we're all pretty friendly right now, but at the same time, we are not afraid to call each other out. And yeah, if you've made it this long in the blister pod, go back and listen to reviewing the news and subscribe to mountain gazette and subscribe it, subscribe to the 50 project on YouTube. And that's my, that's my thing. And watch Disney plus and HBO. (laughs) I don't know. What else do we say? Any other calls like call to actions, go, go outside. Do something fun. Stay safe. Stay safe. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, that then brings us to the end of this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Mike for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And from all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again later this week over on all of our other blister podcasts. Talk to you soon.